Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish radio station. Listen online or at 100.5 FM. We're also sponsored by our friends at 1KC Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC Metro or online at 1kcradio.org. Who do you call when there's a dog that's so scared or so crafty that they avoid all attempts at rescue? The KC Dog Trappers. We talk with Nancy Atherton about the group, how they started it, and why they do what they do. Coming up on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Sierra Howe. And I'm Dave Shapiro. Welcome to the program. We're coming to you from our headquarters at 59th and Troost. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services. Sierra, how are you? I'm cold. I'm wrapped up in my little knit blanket. Yeah, it's cozy in here. Yeah, but I'm, overall, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. You know, it's been a weird week. We're in that weird uh, no man's land between Christmas and New Year's yes, as we record this. We are. Um, so it just feels like we're in the twilight zone all the time. Um, but, but other than that, I think things are going okay. It's been warmer this week, thankfully. So, you know, we, we have... You know, we're not as concerned as we were last week about, you know, pets that are out in the cold and stuff like that. For sure. It's, it's been decent. So that's and I'm glad it. that they have a little break. Exactly. That's There's, the good thing about yeah. Missouri weather be, or in Kansas weather being so wishy-washy. Yeah. But this is also why I'm sick right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyways. a lot of illness going around. Um, I tell you what, why don't we start off with some pet news? Sounds good. This episode is dropping a day after New Year's, which means most people are probably done celebrating, but it's not too late and never will be to share this Minnesota couple's resolution with other pet parents. Keep alcohol far, far away from pets. Tyler and his fiance Megan, were so exhausted after traveling home for the holidays that they made a scary and life-threatening mistake. Their dog, Red, woke them up after causing commotion downstairs. They jumped up to find Red in the kitchen, slurping down red jello shots that they accidentally left out. He was stumbling, running into walls, and the, cu- and the couple began to panic. They called the Pet Poison Helpline, and when they described exactly how much he had ingested, they urged him to take Red to an emergency vet clinic where the 85-pound dog consumed three times the lethal amount. What alcohol does in dogs is cause hypoglycemia, so they treated Red for low blood sugar and gave him fluids and other meds. The couple couldn't afford to hospitalize him overnight, so they monitored him closely at home, and luckily Red was back, at, back to normal the next evening. Quote, looking back, I don't know what we would do or how we would have done it all without him. He's part of the family. We told our whole family on both sides that we're not making or bringing jello shots this year, Tyler said. So friends, just be sure to take the extra minute before bed to do a check around the house, no matter how tired you are, to keep those babies safe. Yep, pretty much. And and it said in the article too, I believe it was today news, that because the jello shots were red, they panicked even more because they thought it was oh, all it was blood, like blood right. and then they realized oh crap we yeah. left the jello shots out and he was clearly intoxicated poor guy and i'm glad he made it though because three times the three lethal times the limit, limit. he's That's, a lucky dog yeah he's a very lucky dog um so so yeah that's a that's a good thing to remember um you know uh cool people like me who are sober 
Eh, don't have that issue. I don't have to worry yeah, about it. Me either. I don't, we don't really, I mean, beer, but it's. But yeah, I'm certainly, I wouldn't leave anything out. Yeah. It's all kept put away for sure. Yeah. But also I want to touch base really fast on how expensive emergency care can be. Right. Because I mean, at least the couple felt comfortable enough to take him home and monitor him. She was setting alarms for like every 45 minutes to wake up. But it's also the reason why we at Pet Resource Center created a low-cost urgent care right. so that we can make it more affordable for folks who are in situations um, like this one where they can't afford care elsewhere to still make sure that their their babies are safe. Because that was really the thing that struck me about the story when you were reading it was, uh, it's probably from working here for so long, but I was just like, wait a minute, they let him go home with the dog? Yeah, I mean, that's the reality. I wonder how many times that happens at an emergency vet clinic. I've never worked at one, but right. we have coworkers who who have worked there, and they have to refer them to us. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, a frustrating situation, I think. There's a big gap between, you know, regular affordable vet care and, like, emergency vet care. There's a big mm-hmm. swath of services yeah. and treatments and, and illnesses that, that need uh, help that, you know, people can't necessarily mm-hmm. afford. Um, well, okay, that's, that turned out well, so let's not end on a down note. Let's end on an up note. Hooray. Okay. Hooray for that. Woo. All right, next up, New York State, welcome to the club. I mean, we're not a part of that club yet, but we hope to be someday. Governor Kathy Hochul signed a new law that takes effect in 2024, banning the sale of cats, dogs, and rabbits in pet stores. This cuts off the supply of animals raised in puppy mills to those stores, forcing them to work with local rescues and shelters instead. Some pet stores have argued that the law does nothing to stop the actual breeding of the animals, which is true. But as we've pointed out in the past, particularly in episode 49 on puppy mills, the problem there is that the laws in the books aren't even enforced properly. Cutting off the supply of puppy mill pets to stores doesn't eliminate the problem of them being bred, but the hope is that it effectively puts those places out of business. Of course, the problem there is that many puppy mills send animals to numerous states, so until more states start taking similar action, it may not have the desired impact lawmakers were hoping for. We actually just had somebody come through our vaccination clinic yesterday, so if you're listening to this now, a couple of weeks ago. She brought her sister's dog in who was recently rescued mm-hmm. from a puppy mill. And she she warned us, like, you know, this dog has never been socialized. And my sister was very nervous to bring her to be vaccinated because of how the way or because of the way she was going to act. Mm-hmm. And so um, the lady, her the sister, took the dog and said, you know what, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And the dog did pretty well. Good. But it's like it's still sad to think about like how bad those situations are. Yeah. And when it's it's one thing to talk about it like we are now, but to see a dog who has come from that type of situation, yep. it makes you angry and it breaks your heart. And so shout out to New York. Yep. Shout out to New York State. Shout out to all the other states. I hope that we join you because um, it really is one of those situations where until more states get on board, it's not necessarily going to have the desired impact mm-hmm. um, because those animals will still be bred as long as there is a market for them somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. So adopt, don't shop. Adopt, don't shop. Um, it's a phrase that's never going to get old. No, nope. I feel like. Exactly. 
Well, I tell you what, why don't we go talk to Nancy Atherton? Everybody's going to love her. Yeah. If you're involved in pet rescue in Kansas City, then you've probably seen or heard of a local group called the Casey Dog Trappers. But if you aren't, you're about to find out that they are volunteers who work full-time jobs and spend their nights and weekends surveilling and trapping lost or stray dogs who are close to impossible to catch. We have one of its members, Nancy Atherton, on the show today to talk about what it means to be a dog trapper and the impact they have on pets in the community. Nancy, welcome to Pet Resource Radio. Thank you for having us. So let's start off by talking about what a dog trapper is. All right. Well, for our group, um, our team, the KC Dog Trappers, we are basically a group of volunteers um, that uh, use equipment and a skill set to capture dogs that people cannot hand capture. And are these usually owned dogs or stray dogs, a little bit of both? A little bit of both. Um, I think we all um, have our passions. Um, Stephanie and I pick up a lot of stray dogs, um, whereas a couple of our other trappers, you know, pick up more of the owned dogs. Um, And we, we work on both, but for the area that at least I serve, it's a lot of stray dogs. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about how Casey Dog Trappers got started. Well, basically, we got started because there were dogs that no one else could catch. And because most of us trappers have experienced the loss of a personal dog, um, we just recognized that the need existed in our community um, and that we also, it also gave us kind of a, a, uh, empathy, if you will, especially towards owned dogs and the owners themselves. And so how many volunteers do you have and what does your system look like? Like, how do you find the dogs that you trap? Okay. So we currently have five main trappers and then we have five volunteers, um, that trap as needed. So they, our volunteers don't necessarily have the same equipment that we have, the cameras and the larger traps. Um, but they are out there with a small trap or a snappy snare. Um, we have a couple of our volunteers that are absolutely amazing at hand catching dogs. Um, it's that would t- not be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish, but. Sarah and Sierra, um, they, they're just amazing at it. Um, and, you know, the dogs seem to sense that they're there to help and That's allow awesome. capture. And so what kind of equipment do you need? You talked a little bit about cameras and, and obviously mm-hmm. traps. Our cellular trail cams are our number one tool. Because they are the eyes that no one else has. Um, We can tuck those away and put food and bait around them and watch for the dogs to show up, sneak in to eat. Um, And so, and they work 24 hours a day. And they text us on our phones when there's motion at the trap um, or at the, 
you know, bait station, trap, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so, yeah, so our cellular trail cams are our number one tool. Um, then as a team, we have a variety of traps. Um, we typically work with the tomahawk traps and the true catch traps. Um, they both have different mechanisms um, in terms of, uh, you know, cl- the door closing. Um, the true catch are the ones we use for the taller dogs Maybe the more the dogs we think are going to be a little bit more feisty mm-hmm. because they're just inescapable. Gotcha. Um, once the door closes, um, and we have—I don't know—we probably have twelve box traps at least among the team, probably more than that. Um, and then we have our Missy trap. Our Missy trap is a walk-in trap, and the door it's four by eight and it is triggered by a ray tripper so when the dog crosses this beam of light Hmm. the door closes and we instead of like stepping on a plate like you think of for tnr right okay right um and we use those traps for the dogs that will not go into a box trap and so how long can it take for a dog to go into a trap i'm sure that Answer varies, but it varies tremendously. You know, we do we do hail mary trappings where we pull over, drop the trap, and the dog goes right in, mm-hmm. and that's great. Then we have dogs that can take you know two to three days. Uh, they're not as afraid of the trap or fearful to go in, and then we have had dogs that take. Months, two months, three months, four months. Mm-hmm. We had one that was loose for six months. Um, but in terms of having our equipment out there, I think 30 to 45 days is, you know, where the dog kept coming back and it just took that long. And so what would you say are some of the other challenges you all face when it comes to trapping dogs? Um, well... The number one challenge is people who try to help but don't necessarily have the knowledge of the process that needs to be followed. We love good Samaritans, but sometimes because they don't understand, um, they can actually do something that would cause the dog to move on us or run into the road um, yeah, so the, the, you know, like I said, we love, we love our good Samaritans, um, but they, uh, can cause, um, some challenges. Um, another challenge that we have, um, we struggle with placement for the stray dogs, um, especially in today's times. And by placement for those who aren't sure, like getting in, them into the shelter. A shelter or a rescue. Gotcha. Yes, yes. Um, and, um, you know, I primarily work in Kansas City, Kansas, in Wyandotte County, and the shelter is always full. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, placement can be an issue. Um, another challenge is equipment safety. Um, every single one of us trappers has had 
cameras stolen, damaged, or traps stolen. And this is all equipment that you all pay for out of your pocket. Yes. Yes, it is equipment that we fund. Now, you know, we have a lot of supporters that donate to us. That's awesome. And have allowed us to, um, when I lost all my cameras, I had enough donations within six hours to replace them. Um, so, so, but yes, you know, most of this, um, we do with, uh, our own funds, um, along with donations from our, uh, uh, supporters. Um, so, and then I think the final challenge is, um, getting our owners, the owners of lost dogs to fully engage with us. We know large, bright signs work. But signs take a lot of time to put up, mm-hmm. and we often find that, you know, the owners are like, yeah, no. Um, and so some of our cases just almost, you know, become non-cases um, because we can't get any sightings. Mm-hmm. Signs generate sightings. And so do you have any specific stories that you'd like to share that have stuck with you throughout all of these years? So each trapper would have their own stories. Um, and we all, we each have memorable ones. And to be honest, not all of them have happy endings. Um, we, you know, we've had a lot of success. Um, we've also had some disappointment along the way where um, we were – you know, the dog was killed basically before we were able to successfully capture. And those stick with us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I will share a very memorable story because it involves your organization. Is Are we about to talk about Rocky? No. A different one? Okay, okay. This is a different All right. one. All right. Um, and it was, this happened back in 20, 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and Ramona uh, reached out. Good old Ramona. Good old Ramona, yes. She reached out about a black dog running over in Kansas City, Missouri, that they could not catch. Mm-hmm. And so Stephanie and I teamed together, and we went over to that location. And we put up cameras, and what started to be one dog turned into four. Wow. Because these I'm trying dogs. I'm to think if I remember this story. Well, but it may have been before my time. It, 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 well, I don't know. Um, they, were black, they were black spaniels, spaniel mixes. Okay. And um, so we started pulling those dogs out of that basically a, about a two-city block area. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first two that we got were pregnant, um, and they ended up at Kansas City Pet Project and were trapped in box traps. The third one, Stephanie and I worked for over 30 days to trap her. We had our Missy trap out for her, and she was nocturnal, so she only came after 10 o'clock at night. Or midnight. Well, the day finally came. We set the trap. And we caught her. 
but she kept trying to jump out. And we did not have a secure top on the trap. Hmm. And so it is less than freezing out. It is dark. Um, This dog is crazy inside the trap, jumping. And I got on my phone and I called Ramona. And Ramona called Michelle. And Michelle and her husband and her son came over with catch poles and a crate and helped us secure that dog. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. And, um, you know, it was it was kind of just one of those moments where it's like, wow, everyone really is in this together. And, you know, we all want the same thing. We want these dogs to be safe and in loving homes. Um, and the fourth dog I trapped uh, a couple weeks later. But that's probably one of the most memorable ones. For sure. Um, because we were out there for about six weeks. Uh, total. Total. That's, mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. And so what other organizations or groups do you partner with in order to do your job? Well, uh, let's see here. Um, we partner with local animal controls, of course. And that has happened over... Uh, the years basically that we have started forming relationships with um, various ACOs um, and because often they are the first ones to hear about a dog that needs help. Um, And if they can't get them, they will um, ask us if we want to take over that, uh, you know, we do not work for animal control Mm -hmm. Um, there's a liability line there, so, yeah. but they will call us for help. Um, we also partner with shelters and rescues um, that, you know, will take these strays that we trap into their programs and get them on into a forever home. Um, and then we also work with um, heavily on the lost and found pages um, and we look at those as partner groups as well because uh, those are all animal-loving people and exactly. are good Sams, yes. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, Nancy, why do you do it? Well, in order to answer that, I asked each trapper why they do it um, because they all can't be here. So Sandy... Um, she says, I have a gift for understanding the way dogs think and behave and want to use that gift to help dogs in need. And then we have Trapper Karen. I trap first and foremost for the dog, but I like the game and the strategy that's involved. I also have a calming presence that dogs recognize. Crystal. Crystal says, all animals need a voice, help, better life, to feel safe, loved, and wanted. Stephanie, um, I had to kind of reword Stephanie's a little bit, because Stephanie's not um, as much a people person as she is a dog person. Gotcha. Um, I feel like there is a good 
chunk of people here who are the same way. So yes, yes. So Stephanie says she cares deeply for the dogs and that there is no reason they should suffer. And then for me personally, I love helping the lost and the scared dogs and getting to use my strategic thinking skills is actually fun. Yeah. Well, Nancy, thank you so much. And to the rest of the dog trappers for everything you all do, we won't take up more of your time because you got to go trap some dogs, but thank you for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. After this episode drops is National Bean Day. Is this a day meant to celebrate beans and all their myriad varieties? Yes. Does that mean we can celebrate cat toe beans? We say yes. Toe beans are really paw pads or technically digital pads. The standard number of beans is 18, five each on the front paws and four each on the back. Unless, of course, the cat in question is a polydactyl cat. More toes means more beans. Cats aren't the only animals that have digital pads, but they play a special role in cats. The biggest thing they do is provide cushioning. Cats are known for their ability to land on their feet from big heights. Some of this is because their skeletal systems are uniquely designed to handle that kind of impact. But the big paw pads, called the metacarpal pad on the front feet and the metatarsal on the back feet, protect their bones from the worst of the shock. They're not super effective, but there are sweat glands on those little beans as well. Being so small and on just a single part of the body doesn't do a whole lot, which is why they still pant and seek out shady areas to keep themselves cool. Toe beans can be different colors, which are determined by the amount of melanin in a cat's skin. This is the same thing that determines coat color as well. The general rule of thumb is that a cat's toe beans tend to be the same color as their nose. Part of what a cat's doing when they scratch furniture or a scratching pad is marking their territory. That's because toe beans actually have scent glands on them. This is true when they're making biscuits, too. They're marking a place that makes them happy. Can you touch the beans? A controversial topic, to be sure. Really, it depends on the cat. There are a lot of nerve endings in those beans, so some cats aren't down to be messed with. And those that don't mind, though, you can actually press on the beans to extend their claws for easy trimming. I mean, if they'll let you do that. Beans can get injured, too. Sometimes a small rock can get lodged between the fur and the paw pad, causing pain. So if your cat is limping, look at them beans. But they can also get dry and cracked, especially if you live in temperatures on one end of the, spe- of the spectrum or the other. Very hot and dry or very cold. If this happens, talk to your vet about the best way to handle it. There are things you can use to help the beans feel better, but there are a lot of things like essential oils, for example, that can be poisonous to cats. So make sure to do your due diligence. So a cat's toe beans serve a number of functions that are pretty important. Leave it to nature to make something so important, so cute at the same time. And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks again to Nancy Atherton for being on the show today. If you're interested in the work Casey Dog Trappers is doing and want to support them, head on over to Facebook and search for Casey Dog Trappers. As for us, we're a nonprofit dedicated to keeping pets and people together, and you can help. Just go to prckc.org and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, please be sure to rate us and leave us a review. That always helps people find us. And for all of the latest information, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms. So tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as the poet Rod McEwen said, cats have it all. Admiration and endless sleep 
and company only when they want it. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, produced, written, and hosted by Sierra Howe and David Shapiro, recorded, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Raw Musical Industries.